0: deadline calls Ezra a touching testament to the power of love in theaters May 31st To learn more, visit naturesway.com pearls and use code CHELSEA10 at checkout for 10% off any Pearl's probiotics. Terms and conditions apply, valid through July 31st.
1: The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen.
0: Hi, Catherine. Hi, Chelsea. I am in Estoy and Mallorca. I've just spent five days alone. Five days alone. And Carla, my assistant, is here as well. Good. But my first guest's didn't arrive until the second. Mm -hmm. So I had five days of no drinking, utter seclusion, exercising, eating healthy. The thing about being on vacation is it's impossible to get on any sort of program. So Mm -hmm. I got my shit together. I didn't do anything. I did Glennon Doyle's podcast, Glennon and Abby's podcast. I recorded that. So look for that. That's coming out shortly. We were trying to figure out a time this summer, and I'm like, you know what? I'm alone for five days. I think that's the best time for me to do a podcast Yeah. since I'm all podcasted out. I'm like, I have my own fucking podcast to deal with. (laughs) But yeah, so I have a full house of comedians. So yeah, you can follow me on Instagram for all the sorts of shenanigans. And then at the end of this month, I go back on tour. I start my Little Big Bitch tour, which I'm really excited about. I've gotten so much rest and relaxation and aggravation, and uh, (laughs) I need a vacation for my vacation, but what else is fucking new? Yeah. Yeah. Now, do you do you restore your energy alone or with other people? I restore my energy mostly by myself. But yeah. I go to bed. Listen, when I was in London, I stayed in London for a month. In like the month of July, I think I was pretty much in London. Mm-hmm. I had a blast. I went to bed probably between 2 and 5 a.m. every single night. All I did was go out and party. And it was so nice because I was in a hotel, and I could just—I had so many friends in London that I could just join other people's action, you know? Like, whatever my friends were up to, I'd be like, okay, I'm going with them, I'm going with them, I'm doing this. You can float. So it was perfect because I wasn't in charge of the entertainment, you know what I mean? Right. In Mallorca, it's my house, I'm in charge of the entertainment. But mm-hmm. I have a new policy I'm putting in place. Like, everybody has a free day throughout the week, Go do whatever you want to do. There's no organized plans. We all will have dinner together every night, obviously. But breakfast and dinner and then anything in between, get your own fucking party started. You can (laughs) hang out. You can leave. But don't rely on me.
1: Yeah. No, that's smart.
0: Yeah. So that's that plan. And then, um, yeah. So that's what I'm in. I'm in. I have three different weeks of guests coming. So we'll see. Exciting. We'll see what happens. I'm working hard on my book. I got a lot of writing done. I have this great title for my new book, which I can't wait to share with people, but it'll be a few months before I can do that. And um yeah, I'm feeling very productive. That's
1: so good. Are you able to share any themes of the book, like kind of the angles you're working or keeping that under wraps for now?
0: I think it's just about female independence and freedom. Nice. Freedom. I love Child that. free freedom.
1: I, I feel like that is. Absolutely, something that people who love you respond to. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, I think it's definitely underrepresented. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We have mm-hmm. so many people that are just not. The reason why it gets such a big reaction is because. There are plenty of people talking about it now, more so than there were, but, you know, it's not enough. And it'll never yeah. be enough that women have choices mm-hmm. and that we can choose to do whatever we want and become whatever we want as long as we get all of this nonsense out of our heads and stop <laughs> listening to what people are telling us.
1: Yes, it kind—it makes me think about what Elise Lonan had said about, you know, the whole – not just our culture, but like the energy of the universe basically is like swinging more feminine for the next yes. who knows how long. But it's just it feels like it's coming to pass. And I like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Great. OK, so our guest today is she's a real piece of work. She's an actress, a comedian and author of Bamboozled by Jesus. How God tricked me into the life of my dreams. Please welcome Yvonne Orji. Oh, yeah, baby. Hello. Oh, yeah. Look at you. Cutie, patootie, fresh and fruity. And he takes one to know one. I was excited. I thought I was seeing you in person today, and I was going to do a little dry hump and say hello. I was going to jump on you. And then she said you're virtual. I and I was like,
2: oh, what a bummer. But that's okay. We're happy to have you. I'm pretty bummed about it, too, because I was like, okay, we can do a body roll. I've been a huge fan of yours. Literally, when people asked me, I was like about, like, they were comedians. They would show them like Chelsea Lately. Did you not see Chelsea Lately? I'm like, every night I tuned in before I even moved to LA, it was You're fantastic. Thank you, honey.
0: Well, likewise, right back at you. You're fantastic.
2: And I'm so excited
0: to have you on and to be talking to you because we don't have a lot of religious people on this podcast. We have a lot of spiritual people. But as I was reading your book, I realized that it's kind of one and the same. It is. It's a belief system. And I love that it's like modern religion, what you're talking about in your book. And I want to talk to you about that first and foremost. I want to talk to you about your belief in God. God and all of the th- the signs that you, I guess maybe early on the signs that you got that made you believe in God, not just that was instilled from your parents, but from your own young adulthood, I guess.
2: Yeah, it's really. I like to say it's really more like a relationship. So with my book It with my faith, it is very much more faith relationship board. Because I think when you have a relationship with somebody, it makes it more personal. Like if your mom tells you, like, come home and you know she loves you and you love her back, you're like, you know what, I'm going to come home. Even though I want to stay out, I'm going to come home. Versus like if it's somebody you don't have a relationship with, like that aunt that's always your business and it's like, you should come home. You're like, to yourself. Not, you know, you're just, you're not really about that life. And so I think when people try to use religion to like force people to do stuff and like there's no understanding or no relationship behind it. It doesn't stick, and it doesn't also feel good. Like, what the heck? Like, why, why would why would why would we do this? So, that's just kind of like where my center of faith lies. This is why I've been able to be a Christian for as long, because I have. But yeah, no, I got saved when I was seventeen. Like, I, I was not playing on going to anybody's Bible study. I grew up Catholic, but from Nigeria. Well, your parents are Nigerian. Were you you were born in Nigeria, right? I sure was. I was born in Nigeria. We immigrated to America when I was six. And my mom was a nurse at Howard University Hospital. And, you know, back then, they liked immigrants. And so they gave us green cards. Now now they're like, you can go home. You're like, but wait, like, you you told us to come here. I love switching the rules. It's like, yes, yes, we'll take the
0: tired, the poor. And now we're like, no, no, actually, we take it all back. We didn't mean that.
2: For sure, like, nobody wanted it. There was a nursing shortage. So, like, that's why every time you go to a hospital, there's going to be a Filipino or an African nurse. This is why when you see hospital shows, you're like, no, this is not representative. There's got to be a Madame Oluano or <laughs> like a public past. Like, what are you talking about? Like, if there's not a Filipino nurse or Nigerian nurse, I don't trust this hospital. So anyway, so that's how we got to America. And, you know, we like, again, we were Roman Catholic, but I remember just going to church more as like a ritual, you know? like, And after you go enough, you're just like, it's going to be a 55 minute service, 60 if the priest is really feeling it. But, you know, <laughs> like, I just love God, and I'm also afraid of my parents, so I'm going to go to church. But then I got to college, and I was I was like, let me tell you right now, we're about to go all the way wild. We are in D.C. I'm a grown woman. Let's go. And I was on my way to the club, and my friend was like, why don't we go to this Bible study before we hit the club? And I was like, I mean— I mean, I, I guess that makes sense. Sure. It's like, it was like, you know, I'm not in a Bible study attire. I was probably <laughs> supposed to be a hole in my heart. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like if Jesus hadn't gotten me as early as he would have, give me a different story. So anyway, we go to the Bible study and the woman preaching, she was just so in love with God in a way that like being a Catholic, I'd never seen someone who like understood the Bible, new scripture, whatever. And I was just so drawn to it. And before I knew it, I was over there giving my life to Jesus. I was like, "We were supposed to be on a pole tonight. Why am I now like in tears?" Like, I do love you, Lord. I surrender. So He got me. So it was in that moment, what you decided to commit to your relationship with God? Yeah, like I like that's how I literally got bamboozled by Jesus. Like I was prepared to lose my virginity at eighteen. I knew I was. I knew I wanted to lose my virginity at eighteen because not because of that necessarily religious purposes, but because I was like, if I get pregnant. I just want to be able to make decisions as an adult because if anybody calls my mama, I'm going to be dead. So, I mean,
0: can you imagine your parents working, probably sacrificing everything to come to America and then their daughter has a teenage pregnancy? What a fuck you.
2: I was like, Ugh. I can't. I don't want my mom to go to jail with 35 to life. I don't want that to be her testimony. So, I just was like, at 18, like, I don't even know what decisions I would be making, but I just feel more of an adult to do that, right? And so, I remembered when I was 16. I went to see my like my primary care physician, and she had to call the mother of a 16-year-old to tell her that her daughter was pregnant. And I remember that at just sketch in my mind, like, oh, nobody will ever make that call. So that's why I had the 18. And God was like, cool, cool, cool. I'm going to let her have this like timeline because I got a surprise from her. I got saved when I was 17 and a half. So <laughs> he got me. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to be right back.
0: An official selection of Deadline calls the film a touching testament to the power of love. IndieWire says it's funny and moving, and according to Next Best Picture, Ezra approaches autism with heart and authenticity, only in theaters nationwide May 31st. I bet you're smart.
1: Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports.
0: And we're back. Are you still a virgin? I am. Oh my god, I love this. This is the most original guest we've ever mm-hmm, had on. Mm-hmm. And you what are you, thirty-nine?
2: I am.
0: Oh my god. That dam is gonna break one day, baby. And baby, I, let me tell you right
2: now. I like people were like, Oh, you know, Yvonne, you're, I was like, pray for him, whoever he <laughs> is, why you're gonna break for <him." laughs> a lot of pent up energy up in here but, <laughs>
0: okay oh, oh my god and you're gonna hit your sexual peak when you start having sex mm-hmm. so yeah
2: you're gonna need a couple of men probably Evolved uh- <laughs> <laughs> went from being a virgin to polyamory like that would be a very interesting time of events that's i don't think that's a testimony but i will say like hurry up if you know any good men chelsea send them my way please Place.
0: I, I, You know what? It's funny. I know this Nigerian man. He's married to my girlfriend. But I have so much experience with that, their family and Nigerians. And I know how dedicated Nigerians are to education and becoming a doctor, which you cover in your book as well. And it's just couldn't be more true. Like, it's very serious. You know, you yeah. have to be loyal and you have to, like, it's almost like being in, in a family can also feel like work. For somebody who's like me, who gets to do whatever they want all the time, you're like, oh, oh, this is a serious situation. (laughs)
2: there's always like an outlier I'm the outlier of my family I was like yeah I feel like I'm meant for more than just what everyone else is doing and so yeah yeah no and also as an injury you're supposed to be married at 23 also an outlier but no I'm, I'm actually really happy I feel like I don't think I could have ever gotten married before this moment like honestly maybe like 35 I thought I was ready but actually I think I feel the most ready to be in a committed relationship now, like that will actually last. Everybody here got married at twenty three; they are probably not together anymore. Yeah, how do Nigerians feel about divorce? I mean, it's happening more and more now, so it's like maybe don't tell your daughters to get married and just find it good man and in mind, <laughs> you know, before they know themselves. And how many siblings do you have? I have three older brothers. Okay, and are they in the States? They're all in the States, yeah? They vary. Like, I have one brother who lives in Nigeria, goes back and forth. I have two brothers who are in the States. So, yeah, we're we're all over the place. And you're the baby. The baby.
0: Isn't that kind of the best place to be in a family? You know what? I feel like if they listen to me more, I would really appreciate this position. I I think with more, the more success you have, the more they will listen. That's my experience with my family, for sure. They respect me way more than they did when I really thought I had some smart ideas. <laughs> so talk a little bit. I I like some of the stories about your faith and belief being reinforced, right? Signs of faith, taking risks and knowing that God shows
2: up for you. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. When I was getting my master's in public health, there was a pageant called the Miss Nigerian American Pageant. And my... Like, my friends were like, why don't you join? And so I did. And I just thought, I was like, you know what? I can wear a dress. I feel like, you know, body conscious. I'm fine. And then two weeks before the pageant, they were like, well, what's your talent? I was like, oh, I don't. I'm a child of immigrants. I don't have one. Like, we're not raised to have hobbies and talents. And they were like, well, everyone who performs needs to have one. So it's two weeks. People have bought tickets My mom lot of, and like, like cousins are coming. And so I'm just like, well, what the hell? I can't, like, I can't mess up because, again, the Nigerian it means like we got to be excellent, and I prayed. I by this time, you know, I've had a relationship with God now for like five or six years. I was like, Hey, God, really need a solid. It's me.
0: <laughs> I need a What's fucking up? talent
2: fast, <laughs> stat! And God was like, Do comedy. Like I've heard the voice of all these people saying, Do comedy. Like,
0: and when you say you hear the voice of God, what do you hear? How does that present
2: itself? You know, it's it, it's one of those things where I will say out of body, but it's almost kind of like a almost like a closing in because like, I know it's not me. Like that was not an idea that I could ever come up with on my own. And it just sounds very clear. Do comedy. It wasn't Louis. It wasn't James Earl Jones. It was just do comedy. And I was like, what? And I remember me like, that's that's not what I would ever do. So I was like, nah, I'm good. And then I was like, God, no, for real, like it's me, Yvonne, like, like, give me something I can actually work with. And he said, Either you're going to learn to trust me or you're not. Oh. And then the books went away. Like, it was like, I like, was just like, whoa, 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 you guys just dropped. Them. I was like, "Just leave? What the hell? But it was just so clear. And I was so scared. That's also how I know that it's him. When he asked me to do something that completely takes me out of, like, the realm of logic, out of the realm of something that I feel like I can do, I know there's nothing but God. Because I wouldn't normally come up with that. That's stupid. Why would I, why would I put myself, because Nigerians, like, Americans are actually nice. Like, just so you know, you have white friends, and they, like, when you started doing comedy, they were like, I mean, that was good. You know, they'll, support. they'll clap, they'll support whether it's good or bad. When you bomb, they're like, you'll get them next time. And you're like, oh, thank you. <laughs> when you were right in front of Nigerians, they do not care about your feelings, okay? If I were to bomb, they would be like, whose daughter is this? <laughs> what nonsense? <laughs> and these are the parents, okay? These are not just... <laughs> And so I definitely was like, hey, okay, I'm very nervous. I'm very scared. I also know that I don't want a regular life. Like I just once I got saved and I started like really understanding the Bible, I was like, oh, I think I'm destined for more. Because for me, I think when you don't have friends and when you were bullied and you feel like, oh, man, all I wanted to do was belong. And then you read the Bible and it's like a blueprint to like belonging. It's a blueprint to like finding and discovering yourself and your purpose. I just, I think I clung to it in such a way that like I needed it. And so I was like, well, maybe God knows something about me that I don't know about myself. And it scares me so much, but I would, I would hate, you know, even in the book, there's a chapter called fear is food points and regret is herpes. And for me, I'm like, I would hate to like regret my life because I just didn't do what God said because it scared me so much. And so I spent the next two weeks writing down what I thought was funny with this, Dual identity of being Nigerian American, and people laughed, and I almost—I was so scared of forgetting my lines because i I didn't do it like a like you know when you get familiar with comedy, you're able to improv, you're able to go with the jokes, do crowd work. That was not my case. I was like, y'all, can y'all please stop laughing? Y'all gonna rest me up? And that was the first time that I was like, wow, I really, really trusted God to do something out of like the norm for me, and it worked out. But I was so scared. So I was like, hey, God, I want to do this again. But if I know I'm good, if it's not an audience of Nigerians with the same material. And so that I did D.C.'s Funniest College Student Competition. I ended up winning for GW. And part of winning means you perform at the D.C. Improv. And so I was like, oh, my God, I think I can do comedy. But it still scared me.
0: Yeah, I like that story. Uh, talk about the story when you moved to New York, though. What happened with that? When you had no money, or you? Oh,
2: my God. So that was the like. Well, those were like one of the first moments, and then of course, like you, you keep going, and then and
0: this voice becomes more familiar to you as you
2: hear it. Absolutely, like I know, like anytime I take a bath, I always just bring my notepad and a pen because when I'm still and I'm like, sent, like God, I need to hear from you. That's when I'm like so tapped in and so tuned in. Inevitably, I'll come out and I'll write something that I know Holy Spirit is like waiting to download with me on. Because he's always talking and sometimes it's just kind of like a feeling like I should go there or I should go do that. And sometimes it's like audible direction. So when I was trying to avoid going to med school by going to live in Liberia, which had just finished a war because it's easier to like go to war-torn countries than to dismantle your parents' hopes and dreams. And so... The last weekend I was there, I met this woman named Jackie. And it was at a wedding. It was literally, I met her one day. She was from New York. She's like, You want me to give my daughter? And that was it. We went our separate ways. A couple months later, I was like, I want to move to New York. If I'm really gonna do this comedy thing, I gotta try it. So I just have enough to like buy a bus ticket, right? I'm like, I don't know where I'm gonna stay. All I know is like I gotta get out of Maryland. So I get on a bus. It's four hours. I'm texting everybody I know, like, hey. Are you in New York? Can I jump on your couch for a little bit? Then I just posted on on Facebook. I was like, coming to New York, need a place to stay. And that was it. Two hours into my ride, I get a message from Jackie that says, call me. She gives me her number. And she goes, are you on your way to New York? I'm like, yeah. She's like, you can stay in our basement apartment. My daughter is away at college. So it's yours. I lived with this woman that I had met once before I left war-torn Liberia for six months rent-free. Those are the things where I'm like, you don't have all the answers before you go. I was on a bus heading somewhere, and I had no idea where I was going to stay and lay my head. And as I went, without all the information, without every T crossed and every I dotted, my answer came. So that's where, like, my faith really— Like, that's why, like, I don't accept those. I've seen too much. Like, <laughs> I can't back down. Like, it's just, it's just— it's just wild to me because I'm like, I know how he works. I know how he operates. And even now, like even bringing on the relationship where people are like, I, you think you're ever going to meet someone? I'm like, bro, <laughs> I'm a immigrant who's living out our Wallace dreams in Hollywood. There's eight billion people on Earth. I feel like finding me one man is the easiest thing I could do. It doesn't even cross my mind that it won't happen.
0: Yeah, that's the right attitude to have. I think a lot of people would describe that also, not to say that you're not, you know, have a relationship with God, you obviously do, but a lot of people would say, oh, that's instinct or the knowing, like your intuition when you can sit still and really hear yourself and hear your desires, whether it's someone telling you or whether it's an innate feeling or an instinctual intuition, whatever. I think a lot of people can relate to that. I love though, I love the way you're talking about it. I love the way that you believe in it, because I think when we believe in things, it becomes true. A lot of people are like, I don't believe in that. I don't believe in that. I don't believe. It's like, you don't know what the fuck is going on. (laughs) Nobody knows what is going on in this world. When somebody's like, there's no UFOs. I'm like, you don't know that. What are you talking about? There's plenty of evidence to suggest otherwise. You have this belief and it's closed and shut. And that's the end of the case. You know, like your opinion is valid because
2: it's yours. I feel like the one thing that is certain in life is you live at the level to which you believe, right? Mm -hmm. If you believe, you know what, there are good people in this world and I just, I choose to be optimistic. And yes, even in the face of like bad things happening and bad people coming to you, you're still like, yeah, no, I I really hope that they find joy in their life, but I'm going to still choose to believe that there are better people out there, good people. So you just live at the level to which you believe. And some people from a young age have been like stunted to like be like the world is trash, everything's is trash. And they're like, all right, or well to then. have
0: to have limited belief systems, you know, that For are sure. that aren't always growing, always expanding. Like the idea the key to I think true awareness and enlightenment is to have your opinion changed constantly to start believing and I'm not talking about QAnon I'm talking about like (laughs) learning as you grow like oh I actually I'm open to this or and I accept this and yes that might be a possibility just because it hasn't happened to you doesn't mean it can but I love the attitude I love all of it like I can totally relate because when you have high vibes you get high vibe things you know things come your way for sure I love what you said
2: about seasonal because it's like none of us are are the same. Like, I'm not the same as I was when I was 17. Like, there's some character traits that are like, these are the things that make me. But like, with new information, when you read new books, when you when you go to therapy, when you have different conversations, your world enlarges and expands and you're able to be like, oh, you know what? I didn't like doing that. Like, now I like doing this. I just wasn't ready to bring that into my life at that point when you first asked me. But like, That doesn't mean like, oh, you a flip-flopper. It's like, no, I just just have new information now. Like, I just enjoy growing and learning. And then some things I used to do, I don't do anymore. Like, God really got me to a place, especially in the pandemic, he was like, I need you to trust you as much as you trust me. So I'm going to be a little bit more quiet. And you have to know that because I love you and you love me and I'm in you, that the decisions you will make will be from a place that make me proud. As opposed to be like, God, is this what you want? God, is this what you want? And so it's just like, whoa. That was like, okay, you're not on the training Reels anymore. Like, you have mm. the bicycle. Go. And I think sometimes people just, like, are chained even to, like, well, this is what our relationship was like. And God, like, why would you leave me? I need you. It's like, I'm not a good parent if, like, you're connected to my hip all the time. You have to trust and know my voice and my love is in you. So move accordingly. Mm.
0: What was the last book that you read? Oh my goodness. You mentioned books. I'm a big book reader. We'd like to talk a lot about books on this podcast. Your last favorite book?
2: Ah, uh, Yes yeah, the Transcended Kingdom was a really good one. And then Seven Days in June was a really good one. Like,
0: what's that? I haven't heard of Seven Days in June. The last time I checked, there were 30.
2: <laughs> really? I'm done with you. <laughs> <laughs> it's by Tia Williams. It's a love story by these two authors who spent seven days in June when they were younger and it was just like a whirlwind and then like they separated. But then all of their books are like low-key about this intense love that they had and then they reunite.
0: Oh, I like that. Mm -hmm. That sounds cute. Uh Then Summer, I like to dip into a lot of fiction. What about you? Give me some recommendations. I'm reading Covenant of Water right now. I'm reading Andre Agassi's autobiography. Oh, I have a good book for you, Lucky Girl. That's a good book. It's about these four queer women, well, some are non-binary, and these four queer friends that live together, and they work at, like, a magazine that's about to get cancelled. Not cancelled, but they have no money, you know, so they're about to get shut down, and then these new people come in, and there's kind of a lot of affairs, and they're all good friends, so it's fun, and it's fiction, so it's nice and light. And then there's another. Another one that I read that was really good Wait, that's Lucky You. Lucky You is a great book. It's it's about a girl that grows up in Kenya, moves to America, and she has a really overbearing mother, and then she's kind of confronting the racism in America compared to where she grew up in Kenya, where she doesn't feel that kind of, she doesn't feel American racism. She's like, when you grow up in Kenya, you're surrounded by all black people, so shut up and stop complaining is kind of the vibe she comes in with. And then the transformation after spending so many years in America, and how different it is here when it's not all black people, you know, and what you're up against. So that was a really good book. I I learned a lot from that. It's fiction, but it's beautiful. I can relate. I can't wait to get into that. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to be right back. An official selection of Deadline calls the film a touching testament to the power of love. IndieWire says it's funny and moving, and according to Next Best Picture, Ezra approaches autism with heart and authenticity. Only in theaters nationwide May 31st. Finding
1: the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations, and sometimes a little fun, too.
0: And we're back. It happened so fast. Are you ready to give some advice? Are you ready to give some advice, Yvonne? You want me to give some advice? Yeah, that's what this podcast is. We have people that write and call in and we give advice. So get your shit together, girl. Okay. Katie writes, dear Chelsea. I have two questions,
1: really. First, does Chelsea have any advice for someone who has public speaking anxiety but wants to try stand-up? My anxiety surrounding public speaking is pretty intense. I typically physically shake, and my voice gets stuck and garbled. I love to write, however, and I've been working on some jokes, but the thought of speaking in public and being in front of anyone terrifies me. Does this mean that maybe trying this just isn't in the cards for me? Eventually, I'd like to submit a writing packet for a show or comedian Which would be a dream come true, especially due to the slim chance that anything would come from trying stand-up, which I know isn't logical or very realistic. Given that the dream outcome would be to get a comedy writing position, should I start there instead? This idea actually makes me a lot happier to even contemplate, so maybe it's the road I should try first, even knowing that it's an extremely competitive field and I know nothing would probably come of it, at least I wouldn't regret not trying. I'd be so grateful for any sort of direction or advice.
0: Let me start. From a medical standpoint, you can talk to your doctor about beta blockers. You will not shake. I've used beta blockers. My sister, everyone I know has used a beta blocker at some point in their lives when they're too nervous. So that kind of cuts off that signal that your brain sends to your body that makes you shake or you you get dry mouth. Or It it solves a lot of problems. If you're comfortable doing that, I would highly recommend it because beta blockers work. And you don't have to take them forever. They kind of rewire your brain to stop getting so nervous. I would also recommend that, I mean, to any person that really wants to face their fears, doing stand-up comedy is a great way way to face your fears, you're always going to be happy that you did it, regardless of what happens. You're going to be happy that you took the step towards making that happen. But if writing is also like something that appeals to you, I think there's a much better chance of success with writing than there is with being in front of the camera. I feel like the odds are slightly lower for being in front of the camera than they are being a writer. And, you know, with writing, you can do that. And and that doesn't make you nervous and it doesn't make you scared. And so there's a lot of benefits that come with that too, following your path. And it sounds like that kind of feels like it is your path. But I would still try stand up just to try it because it's so exhilarating to do that. And I too have experienced shakiness on stage and stuff. And that's how I found out about beta blockers. I don't use them now because I don't need them now. But I did have a period of time where I did need them. And so they can help in that way. Yvonne, what do you think?
2: A couple of things. So I would say if you're really interested to get into the root of your social anxiety, And you're able to, I would try EMDR therapy because that actually like gets right into like, Mm. where did this fear come from? Like, what is it rooted in that makes you feel like whenever you get in front of people, like it's so present that it blocks you. So if you're able to, I would try that because I think that's not just showing up in public speaking. That's showing up in other areas of your life. And that's getting to the root of
0: the matter rather than putting a Band-Aid on it, which is what a beta blocker propranolol (laughs) would do.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, that's just like for life, because you're going to you're going to be around people for as as long as your life. Right. So whether you just want to figure out, like, why why do I feel like this? And is there ever like is there any freedom from this? That's what I would say first Two, I would be more mindful and cognizant when you say things like when you just read, even though I know nothing will ever come of it. You have what you believe. So words are so important for me. I'm like I'm huge on whatever you say is like an arrow. So if you're like, I just believe that something could come of it, even if you're not sure what it is, if you're starting a, a sentence with like, I, I know that, you know, nothing will ever happen. It's like, well, nothing will ever happen. You're right. So it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. So that's that just on, on the, just in general terms. But then I would also say like, sometimes we just also have to listen to our body. Like the things that make us feel better, like do that. Like I think like so we somehow society has been like, push past your fears. And it's just like, but what do I want to do this? Like, I don't like it. You know what I mean? Like, I I have a fear of blood. <laughs> and I was still, like, majoring in freaking biology, thinking I was going to be a doctor. Like, I don't like blood. Like, so there's no version. Like, I was going to be an OBGYN. The hell was I thinking? So, like, that didn't bring me joy. I loved talking to people. So I got my master's in public health. I loved traveling. I got my master's in global public health. So it was just like those things actually made sense and they brought me joy and I was good at them because they made me feel good. So it's like, yes, you can push past your fears. And there are sometimes times where fears are crippling because it's stopping you from doing the thing that you're supposed to do. But then sometimes I think people like just do the hard thing because it's hard and someone told them that they have to do the hard. It's like, baby girl, from what I'm hearing, I feel like you're going to be a really good comedy writer. Get a comedic friend and like write jokes for them so then you kind of Get the best of both worlds of being on tour, having your jokes be centered, but then you being behind the scenes. And then maybe enough reps of that in a new season, you get, you see that it's not so bad. And then you're able to come to the forefront. It's fine. Like everything doesn't have to happen all at once. There can be stages to your life and to your dreams.
1: Yeah, and I think, too, you know, stand-up doesn't necessarily have to be like, oh, that's her end goal. Like, she wants to be a writer. But if she were to take a class or do a couple open mic nights, get her jokes out there, she would be able to see, like, what's working, what doesn't. Like, what does it actually sound like, you know, when it's up on stage? And it'll help her refine her jokes a little bit as well.
2: But I also love what, like, I think it was like Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. I love how they were very much like, yeah, we couldn't be stand-ups, but we can be sketch artists. So like they're still very front and center. You know them as comedic women, but they're not standups. Right. And they are very vocal about like, no, no, that's a different beast. And I love that because I think it shows that there's different ways to be comedic and to be front and center without necessarily be like, so the other day i was walking down the street, you know, like it's just like there's a different there's different entry points for
0: everybody. If you're really itching for that experience, go and do it, you know, try it a couple times mm-hmm. if you really want to overcome that. But you, again, you don't have to, but if it's going to make you feel good. It's going to make you feel a little bit brave and it will only lend itself to your writing as well because yeah. you're going to have a big appreciation for it after you try to do it, you yeah. know. Yeah.
1: One of my girlfriends just tried stand up for the first time and she was like newly out as queer. She was like really scared to sort of like get up in front of a random room. So she took a class that was all women. It was super supportive. And like even if Katie just took a class, you know, even if she told herself, like, I'm not going to do the final thing where I get up in front of people, but just even like getting in a class and like seeing how that feels.
2: And then also taking the pressure off, like make your goal to just be to have fun. Because I think sometimes like what the intention you set like if you're like i want to do a five minute set just this is new for me this is scary and i'm actually being vulnerable and so really a win at the end of this class would just be to be able to talk to you guys for two minutes without feeling a little bit of fear that's okay to set that as the goal even if somebody else in the class is like yeah i'm gonna open up manage the square garden at the end of this class all right cool god bless you
1: (laughs) (laughs) amazing well katie let us know how it goes Our next question comes from Sarah. Sarah says, Dear Chelsea, I need some advice with dating. Full disclosure, I'm a 34-year-old straight female and a virgin. I haven't had a boyfriend since college. I have no idea how to date. And to be honest, it terrifies me. Like heart racing, literally being scared to go on a date. I recently got back on a dating app, Hinge, and I was asked out on a date. I immediately started panicking and told my friend, I can't do this. I'm too scared. Oh. Mm -hmm. What the hell is wrong with me, Chelsea? And what advice do you have for me to get past this fear? Please help Sarah.
0: Oh, geez. That's terrible. Well, she needs to go to therapy too and figure out why she's so scared of a date. Mm -hmm. It should, and I, listen, the only thing you can do to diminish fear is to attack it. I mean, I'm, I'm, a perfect example of being scared of so many things and just going after it. And then the fear diminishes like for dating. I've definitely been nervous to go on dates and you know, I've definitely had too much to drink because I was too nervous to go on a date. And then I realized who the fuck gives a shit. Like you're putting too much pressure on the actual date. You should, the more dates you have, the less anxious you're going to be about it. So Mm -hmm. you, I would beg you to figure out a way to, go on five dates in a week so that you can just get over this hump of fear and understand that it's not the end of the world like nothing is that important to be that scared about And I mean other than somebody being sick or dying like it's supposed to be fun and I don't know why you would you know be so so scared unless there was a real deep issue that you would have to work out again with a therapist but in lieu of that I would say to practice it as often as you can even if you want to just say hey we're going out as friends on the first I just want you to know that, you know, if you want to take the pressure off of the situation, I just want to meet somebody and get to know somebody first. I don't want any expectations to take some of the pressure out of it so it doesn't feel so intimidating. Yvonne, what do you think?
2: I agree a thousand percent. Like there there should definitely be some therapy to get to the root of what's happening. Two, I'm curious to know what happened in college in terms of why she hasn't been on a date since college, because like from 18 to 35, a long time to not have gone out with somebody, even if it's just friends. It so just like let's go grab a bite, let's go get some pizza, let's go bowling, let's do something. And then I think what happens with a lot of women who are waiting, and especially a lot of women who are virgins, because you know you have the folks who are like celibate or you know whatever born again virgins. They feel like it's the scarlet letter. They feel like you know what if he wants to have sex with me, like what do I say? And then what if he doesn't like me? What if I tell him I'm a virgin? And it's just like what the hell? It's so much pressure. And it's also like, I remember I learned this a long time ago. Like, it's actually very rude to the man to believe that all he wants from you is sex when he could just be like, I just want to have a good time. I just want to get to know your name and also see if like we vibe before we even get to sex, right? I've had long term relationships and sex was not on the table and we have had a fantastic time. And so I think too, it's, it's, this is more almost a reflection of like, does she think that she is worthy? Does she think that she is a good time? Because I know like, there were seasons where I didn't think I was beautiful. I wanted to be in a relationship, but because I didn't, like, really fully see myself as that chick, that girl, it was almost kind of like, eh. you know, I mean, I, I, I used to say the stupidest things. I'm like, I like guys who like me back, as if I have no choice in this, you know? Just, <laughs> <laughs> like, well, what if I don't like them? Like, who the hell, who said that I didn't have a choice? And so it's like, what, once I got my bad girl-ish up, it was like, oh, baby, I'm a king builder. I know we're not having sex, but like you can have sex with everybody else. But what you can't have is what I bring to the table. And maybe it's a lot. So you can still decide to not rock with me. And that's fine because I'm not for everybody in that way. But I know that the people that I have been for, been fire. And so it's just now finding that fit. So for her, I would just say, one, get to the root of what what this is. Two, ask yourself for real. Do you love you? Do you feel like you're beautiful? Do you feel like you're... A worthy date like a guy is going to enjoy the heck out of getting to know you have you got to know you
0: and write those things down, that you mm. are worthy, that you're a queen, that you're a boss, that you're confident enough to go on dates and, and actually decide if you like that person, because it's not about what they think about you. Just like Yvonne yeah. said, we get hung up on that. We want people to like us when we're too stupid. And then we yeah. realize, wait, I don't even like you. So <laughs> yes. you got to say to yourself, you got to write down some, some positive affirmations for yourself, because I think you're in your head. I mean, I know you're in your head if you're feeling this nervous about it. It's normal to be nervous about things like that this that's totally okay but it shouldn't hinder you from actually following through on the actual date and set yourself up for success go to a place where you're going to be the most comfortable that you can possibly be and i'm I'm not joking when i say do it as many times in a row as you can do it to get the nerves out of your system and extinguish that that insecurity that you're feeling and clearly it's a bigger issue but like all these steps that you take to sort of self-heal they all start to build up together and then things become much easier because you're being proactive about your own well-being when you actually are like, No, I'm gonna do this because it's gonna be good for me, rather than fall into your
2: nervous side and say, No, no, forget it. I'm not gonna do it. I'm gonna stay home. And also find your sexy too. And like that means so many different things for so many different people, right? But like finding that sexy, like whatever it is for you. I don't know, I don't know how tall you are, how short you are, how big, how slim. Like that has nothing to do with the sexiness of the confidence because if you if you know like yo when I walk in a room I'm I'm the baddest chick in here like and that's not just something you say like that's something like you're going to eventually have to believe because especially I mean Chelsea you know being in Hollywood you walk in a room is like that's a lot of dollars up in here (laughs) my God but then you're just like that's cool I'm also in here so that I'm also beautiful I'm also that chick and also trust and know that like. There are going to be some guys who are not going to rock with you because you were virgin. And that's fine. They're lost. You're not for everybody. I would always say, like, I'm not looking for a thousand guys to like. That's also a lot of pressure. I need one good dude. Like, that's it. And I used to friend zone myself a lot because I did have that thing of, like, I would just crack jokes and I'd be the funny girl. and It's like, damn, I'm glad I've been on a date in two years because everyone's your friend. And so it's like when I talk about Finding you're sexy, it's that thing of being able to, like, look at some dude and, and just be like, okay. I think it was the stupidest thing, Chelsea. And when guys would ask for my number, I'd be like, you have my email address. Ah. <laughs> so, that is so stupid.
0: <laughs> I love that. It's like, what does that mean? Also, five bad dates are going to lead to a good one. Like, the sooner you get through the bad dates, the yeah. sooner you're going to find the good one. And it's a trial and error. That's what online dating is. So you took the first right step with Hinge, and now we need you to go on some dates. And fuck yeah. your nervousness. Do whatever. Take an edible. Mm-hmm. Have a drink. Whatever you want. Don't don't get wasted. But have something yeah. to take the edge off. Beta blockers. Yeah, take <laughs> a beta blocker. Yeah, go to your doctor and get propranolol. That's a beta blocker. That'll well, help low your low nerves. Your yeah, don't get rohypnol. Don't <laughs> (laughs) Don't confuse Rohypnol with a beta blocker. Yeah. And I think a couple
1: of just practical things that she can do on Hinge is set the expectation right up front, like looking for friends and maybe more. So like you're not committing – anybody who hits you up, you're not committing to anything more than
0: like we're just seeing what this turns into. I went on a date the other night and I was like, I'm a 48-year-old woman. And I was like, oh, I hope he doesn't think – what if I don't like him? And I was like, if you don't like him, you're leaving. And that's exactly what I did. I had a drink yeah. and then I was like, sorry, I'm going to dinner with my sisters. I'm leaving now. Right. You know, and yeah. that was it. It wasn't happening. It wasn't on. There were no expectations. And you're in charge. You're a woman. You get to decide what's gonna happen.
2: Yeah, we have choice. Supposedly. <laughs> that's like that's like that's a moment
1: right there. <laughs> This exact scenario happened to actually the same friend who just came out as queer. It turned out she just wasn't into guys, and that's why she was always panicking on dates. So, you
0: know, maybe expand uh, your search. Yeah, okay. Yeah, expand your search. <laughs> really expand it.
1: <laughs> okay, Sarah, let us know how it goes. Um, and we have our caller. Our caller just came. So, Felix says, I'm a queer person, gay, demisexual, cisgender man, which means I'm a boy who likes boys, but not very often. I was raised in a very religious home. In fact, my father is a pastor of a megachurch in my home state in the South. My parents love me very much, but my sexuality has always been the rainbow elephant in the room. I was outed by some youth group members when I was in college, and it nearly cost my father his job. When it happened, I went back in the closet, but after college, I moved out of state and have pretty much been living as an openly queer person ever since. In fact, I'm a qualified contestant for Mr. Gay America this year. Pretty fucking gay. So I'm pretty much out, not so on social media. Whenever I post anything queer-related, I have a setting that hides it from my friends and family and my church. I want to be proud of my accomplishments as the state title holder, which qualified me for Mr. Gay America, and when I eventually meet someone special, I want my family to be happy for me and come to my wedding. I love my parents very much, and they make a point to tell me they love me and pray for me daily, but they're convinced I'm on a horrible path, and living out my truth as a queer person will lead to ruin." I have an incredibly supportive sister and brother-in-law who are both licensed therapists and run a lot of interference, so that's helped a lot. But we've been putting off this conversation as a family for a long time. Not being able to fully receive love from my parents because it's predicated on me being something I'm not has taken its toll over the years, and it's finally bubbling to the surface. My question is this. How do I convince my parents that they raised a good kid? Or I guess, how do I exist as a queer person without breaking my parents' hearts? And beyond that, how do I handle the backlash that I know is going to come from my old church? Love, Felix.
0: Hi,
4: Felix. Hi. How you doing? Good. Hi, Felix.
0: Our special guest today is Yvonne Orji. Hi, Felix.
4: Oh my God. Hi. How are you?
2: I'm good. Are you about to board a flight?
4: Uh, no, actually, just deplaned from one, so got oh, okay. me in good, transit.
2: Good, good eye, Yvonne. <laughs> good eye. I was like,
0: feelings. Do you work for Southwest? or
4: uh, I'm actually traveling for a pageant in Atlanta. For so. Mr.
0: Gay America? Or did, is this a different pageant?
4: Yeah, so this is a prelim to Mr. Gay America. Oh. So I'll be competing for Mr. Gay Southern.
0: Well, this is, we have two pageant queens here. <laughs> well, I, I wasn't quite the queen, but I was I was on my way. And then I decided to reroute. She was top fifteen out of fifteen. So you I know. The-
4: <laughs> <laughs> Excellent.
0: I was top fifteen <laughs> out of sixteen. There you go. Anyway, Felix. So your family southern and religious.
4: Yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty stereotypical Southern Baptist, religious, very anti-gay, anti-trans, you know, mm-hmm. all all that good stuff.
0: Okay. Yeah. So. And they know you're gay.
4: Yeah, it's kind of like the rainbow elephant in the room. We don't talk about it. They never ask me who I'm dating or things like that. It's just something that we don't really talk about. Yeah.
0: Well, I think that's probably why you don't have sex a lot or you don't want to have sex a lot because you probably feel so much shame because of the way that you were raised and everything, you know, around your family, which is, is very common, actually. But I would say to you. This is the life that we're given, you know what I mean? This is the chance that we get. If you're living your life for your family, then you're not living your life for yourself. And you have to really dig deep and figure out what's more important. Is it the approval of your family? Is it the approval of your church? Or is it your own growth and your own happiness and joy, you know? I mean, it's not fair for you to have to take on their opinions and their judgments and prohibit you from blooming, you know what I mean, into the person that you're supposed to be. And it sounds like that's exactly what you're allowing them to do.
4: Yeah. And I've, I've definitely allowed them to do it for a long time. I mean, I, I think for me, it's just the you know me coming out you know again to them and being like listen this is me this is my truth they would just take it you know so personally and would just cause a big group to the family and i don't know if i'm strong enough to handle that but yet. you
0: are strong enough you are we're all strong enough it's a we all have a reservoir of strength that we don't even know about until we have to get in touch with it so you are strong enough it's a matter of choice if you're ready to do it and i would are you in therapy i am yeah
4: I'm also a person living with schizophrenia. So that's a whole other topic, but uh, therapy is more geared towards like coping strategies and, and things like that.
0: You have schizophrenia? I do.
4: Uh-huh. It's called schizoaffective disorder, okay. which is schizophrenia plus a mood disorder, which is really fun. Oh,
0: okay. And you're medicated for that?
4: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Medication definitely helps. I'm able to lead, you know, a pretty, pretty normal life, thankfully.
0: Yeah. Yvonne, what are your thoughts on this subject matter?
2: When we were hearing your story, there was something you said. You said, yeah. how do I get my parents to, or how do I, the the reality is like, you can't make anyone do anything. You can desire things to people, but like, there's no version that you can make anyone see you as you want to be seen, love you like you want to be, like, so I think there is a, there's going to have to be a, a separation of desire and expectation in order for you to like, fully get happy and joy. And this is not at all comparing my situation to your situation, two very different things. But I remember when I was, when I just told my parents I wouldn't do comedy, mind you, I had been the good Nigerian girl. I had gotten the masters. I had, was in church, doing all the things. But they, I told them, I was going to move to New York. Our relationship was stray for eight years. I would call and like, having Father's Day. Hi, I got it. back today. I'm like, well, what the hell? You sick? You dying? What's going on? Right? And so, it can't be my well right now for joy or understanding because they don't understand. So I had to find my tribe. I had to find the people that I knew cared for me, loved me, championed me, celebrated me, all those things, because like you need all of that when you're doing something that's, that's different than what they considered to be norm, right? And so what I also had to learn after that, because in my mind, I was like, once I do this, then they will love me again. Then they will receive me again. Then they will accept me and then everything will be great. And then I did the thing and it was like, But your brother had a baby. I'm like, what the hell? So it's just like all these things that I was still combating. And I had to get in my mind, I just love them for where they are, for as much as they can understand about me and what they can love about me. Everything else, I would be doing myself a disservice by trying to force my desire for how I want to be seen and loved upon them. Sometimes it was sad because you're just like, damn, how come they still can't? See all the things that I've been through. I wrote the book, you know, it was, it wasn't like, wow, you really struggled. I'm so glad you made it. It was like, so why are you talking about us? And I was like, (laughs) that's what you got from this?
4: That's a thousand percent my family. Like if I, you know, told them what I was struggling with or, you know, if if they found out I was doing this, they would, you know, be like, well, why are we talking about our family? You know, like, why are we bringing up, you know, we're very much like a suffer and silence type of family, which I need to break away from. And like, you know, my sister is a, is a counselor. And so is her husband. So like we're a very therapy adjacent family, but it's just we seem to not want to take our own advice. And, uh,
0: and is there anyone in your family that is on your side, so to speak, like with regard to you being gay and out Is your sister? Is that someone that you have as an ally in your family?
4: Yeah, she's really the only one that I can talk to about anything related to you know being gay or anything like that.
0: And what about your friend community? Do you have some friends that are close to you?
4: Yeah, I've got a fairly strong support network. I mean, it's ranked over the past few years, like dealing with some of my mental health stuff. Um, But I do have a, a core few people that I can rely on.
0: Okay, well I think you should really lean into that. You know what I mean? I don't think you should hide who you are. I really don't. It's so important for each of us to really embrace everything about ourselves. You know what I mean? And and really live out loud. And I know I don't mean that in like you have to wave it in their faces, but you can't diminish who you are out of Fear for their reaction. They need to get on board with the fact that they love you and it's not a choice. This is your life. This is how you were born. This is who you are. And the more that you can lean into that, I know it could be years. But eventually most families come around. Yvonne's relationship with her family eight years later after that strain isn't, you know, isn't as strained. They did come around to the fact that she wasn't following through with what they wanted her to follow through with. And I know it seems like a huge mountain to climb. And I'm sure it is going to be, but the strength that you are going to gather from that climbing that mountain and the self-esteem that you're going to give yourself and the way that it will affect and impact the rest of your life. And the way that it'll impact the rest of your lovers and friends and relationships, whether they're romantic or not romantic, is paramount to how your family feels about what you're doing. You can tell them you love them, but you can't be living in a dishonest way. And I think there's a
1: misconception about boundaries being something that we give to other people. But really, we can only set boundaries with ourselves. And I think it would be good for you to remind yourself like on a daily basis, like I'm only responsible for myself. And when you really believe that, you understand this backlash from your church that you're foreseeing, anything that anybody else does and says, you are not responsible for that. You're only responsible for what you're doing. And when you can live your truth, that's the best way that you can represent yourself. Anything else that happens is not up to you. It's not your fault. You didn't cause it by coming out, even though they already know, you know, you were outed before. This might be the time to take your power back and tell your truth yourself.
2: I will say I know it is not an easy thing because, I mean, obviously being in the church, like it is beyond a community. Sometimes it's like it's so entrenched. And especially with your father being the head of the church, there are so many ripple effects that, you know, even the three of us on this call can't fully know. And it is that thing of your mind goes into like, well, will I be on, in Thanksgiving? And like, what if my dad loses his job? And it just feels like all the compounding things fall on you. So I don't say it's easy or for us to be like this and this. It's like, no, no, no. It's very hard to be in your position right now. So I just want to affirm and acknowledge that because it is very hard to almost like dismantle all of the things that are connected to you your one decision. So do know that. And so it it might be a process, a three-step process. And at the same time, when you make decisions for you, understand that it will not be the best decision for other people. And you cannot control what they say about you, what they do to you. And just know that, like two things can be true at the same time. This decision may affect them in a way. And then, you know, you hope, you desire, you pray that they can be able to stand and say, hey, listen, even if we don't agree with this, this is still our son. We love him. And so I hope you can understand our position in loving and protecting our son. That's what you would want them to say. I don't know that that's what they are prepared to say. And we cannot control that. We cannot know that, right? And I know how frustrating that may be for you as a child who loves their parents because there were times where I wanted that protection, right? And not in the same way, obviously, but like, You want that protection, and sometimes when you don't get it, it feels so sad because it's like, why don't they just know me? Why can't they just see me and receive me? But we can't ask those questions because we're not them because we don't know what is in them that's preventing that. We only know where we are and the the seat that we sit at. So I hope you have your tribe. I'm so grateful that you have your sister and her husband in your life that can affirm you because you really just need one good ally. You really just do need one good ally who can, like you said, cushion the blow for you. But it is a lot. I will definitely be praying for you. And I know you pray for yourself as well. And maybe by the grace of God, things change. But we're not holding our breath for that moment.
4: Yeah, no, that's hugely affirming. Thank you. Just because it really is. It's not just coming out. It's like basically saying to that entire community, I'm choosing, you know, quote unquote, to live this way and be outspoken about it and just you know, thinking about a life where everyone knows is just, I don't know, a little mind bending for me. I can't really wrap my arms around it. Is
0: there a scenario where you can be revealing about everything that's happening on Facebook or whatever? Is there a scenario where you can just take a little bit of a break from them so that everybody has time to kind of absorb the information and that you're not subjecting yourself to their criticism or their rejection or any of that and you lean into your friend circle that you said you have?
4: Yeah, I mean, I I guess I could do that, like make a big long post and then go dark for a little bit and just focus on being around my people.
0: You don't have to go dark, but I'm saying if their response is going to be, if it's going to hurt you and it's going to be hurtful, then you have every reason in the world to say, listen, this is my life. I have to live it. I want my family's support. But if you guys don't want to support me, then I mean, I have to take a break from you, you know, to kind of reinstill some confidence. You want to be loud and proud about it.
2: You should be. Everyone else is. And also, I guess my question to you, you, a couple of questions, do you still live back at home in that community? Like, do you still live down south?
4: No, I live about three hours away. So it's close enough, but just far enough away.
2: Exactly. Is there a version where you can get on the other side of America or another country? Like, is there anything really keeping you so close to the community? Is there anything really keeping you in this country? Because there's versions where you can... Time and space and distance are, are a blessing. Those are also boundaries as well. But and, and also no one's saying that you have to post anything about it. I feel like there's a version where you can just keep moving away. And like, again, that's still going to be hard, but it's a decision to protect your mind space and your heart space. I was like, New York wasn't far enough. I had to move to L.A. because I know anybody can get, get on the flight. <laughs> but that was far enough. The space and the distance and then also... Choosing to not engage in certain conversations, just like, hey, I hear where you are. I understand your point of view. I also have shared my point of view. It doesn't feel like it's being understood, and I understand why. But also, I I choose not to engage in this conversation because there's no there's no answer. We're at an impasse, and so let's just not have the conversation.
4: Yeah, and I think there's definitely times where I've considered moving, but you know, I do have two little nephews and a baby niece within driving distance, so. Yeah, maybe when they get a little older, think about maybe putting some distance.
2: I will say, as much as I know you love your niece and your nephew, that is still you putting other people in front. of.
4: yeah, that's true. You
2: know, I, listen, I'm not a therapist. I, I can't tell you anything about that. Like, you're not, Shut up. <laughs> but it ends. You know, that's still like, hey, I love my niece and nephews. Like, we we love that you love them, and at the same time, they can still know that you love them. My niece and nephew live a hundred gazillion thousand miles away. Every time I see them, I FaceTime them. I, you know, whatever. But I'm not going to put myself in proximity to a bad family situation. But it's like, they still know that I love them. But at the same time, I'm able to live what brings me joy. So... Consider that.
0: Consider that impact that you're having. Also watching, you know, your nieces and nephew or nephews and niece are watching you. They're going to grow up watching you. And do you want them to grow up watching you live your life fully? Or do you want them to see you being a fraction of yourself because of your family's judgment?
4: Yeah. And I thought about that a lot, too.
0: And Felix, as you well know,
1: planes exist. So like you can visit.
4: Yeah,
0: I think it would be empowering for you to get some space and time away from your family so that you can actually find out what your own thoughts are and what your own feelings are and kind of diminish the shame and and work with a therapist definitely because this is so common among gay men, you know, whose families reject them and don't understand. But please keep in touch with us and let us know what transpires and give us updates because you you should be empowered and I hope you do feel empowered after us talking with you. Away
2: also doesn't mean forever forever. As long as you get to whatever point you feel and you can say I'm okay with it, that's a very different thing than being like I'm not okay with it and I wish it. Would. So it's like you can still decide that what works best for you is to be this version of yourself as long as you're okay with it. And you're not okay with it cuz you're calling in.
4: Right. No, this, this has been great. I really appreciate you know, all the affirmation. The okay, well, we love you
0: and we support you and we are your allies. So, you know, if you ever need us again, call us back. We will
4: do. Thank you so much, so okay. much. Okay,
0: You will go on the planet. Yeah, that's fun.
4: Oh, yeah, we'll do.
0: Okay, bye. Thank Thanks you for calling. Forward.
4: Bye. Thank you, guys.
0: Sending you love. Do you know how many people call in with that? How you could be a mother or a parent and say no
2: to your child. Oh, my God, I couldn't. You know what, Chelsea? It's one of those things where, like, everyone has a, a different POV, right? For Nigeria, sometimes we think, like, how about our parents do X, Y, and Z? And then I, I had to remember they saw a war where people were, like, killed in front of them. So some of their decisions, and there was no, like, oh, EMDR therapy available no. for them, <laughs> you know, no. or like, they didn't even, they're like, what? <laughs> they just tried to survive to the next day. So it's not like we're making excuses, but it's like sometimes to understand. I would totally do things differently than, like, my parents were like, I have the the privilege of being in America and, like, knowing that I have another home. Like, my dad almost died in the war and, like, had to, like, put on plain clothes and, like, walk three days to, like, my grandfather's village to survive. So I was like, yeah, maybe there's a reason why he does X, Y, and Z, right? Or maybe there's a reason why, like, shame and embarrassment are so big in this community. We don't know all the factors. Mm -hmm. And then especially if you add in, like deep-seated, rooted religion, and this is the word, and the word is, you know, sharper than any two-edged sword, and it doesn't lie. It's like all the the things that come with that. It's just like, it's hard to see just, like, love. Because again, Jesus was still the same person when the woman who had all the husbands came to him at the well. He was like, hey, girl, get some water. And I know the man at home is not your boo. And it was just like, wait, what? And then she was able to be like, come and see a man who has shown me everything about my life. Because he didn't, like, judge her. He didn't shame her. He just was like, I know what's up. You thirsty? Yeah. And like, that's just not what we as humans who are all the way flawed know how to do. So it is difficult and convoluted and a lot of times not right. But like, who's to say what's right and wrong other than just like having compassion for humanity?
0: Yeah. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back to wrap things up. An official selection of Deadline calls the film a touching testament to the power of love. IndieWire says it's funny and moving. And according to Next Best Picture, Ezra approaches autism with heart and authenticity. Only in theaters nationwide May 31st. The
4: 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry.
0: And we're back. Yvonne Orji, what an ironic last name for you. It really is.
2: I have questions for Jesus. When I meet him, I'm like, I think be living up my wildest last name dreams. Here I am, waiting until I get married. I love you. You're so
0: vibrant and filled with good, uh, good stuff. I'm going to DM you. I'll DM you my phone number so we can hang out and have a night together. Perfect. And thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye bye. Okay, guys, we have added more shows to my Little Big Bitch tour. I added another second show in Toronto. So I have two shows in Toronto now. December 7th, December 8th, December 9th, I'm in Ottawa. And two new shows, December 15th. On a Friday, we're doing a 7.30 and 10 p.m. show with Kevin Hart and Friends. That's in Thackerville, Oklahoma. And all my other shows, you can buy tickets for at ChelseaHandler.com. I'm starting my tour back up on September 29th in New York City at The Beacon, which is sold out. But the next night, there are tickets available September 30th at The Beacon. So for all fall dates, you can go to ChelseaHandler.com for tickets, and you'll see me. Mm.
1: If you'd like advice from Chelsea, shoot us an email at podcast at gmail.com and be sure to include your phone number. Dear Chelsea is edited and engineered by Brad Dickert, executive producer Catherine Law. And be sure to check out our merch at ChelseaHandler.com.